Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Digitally Uploaded Podcast, the companion podcast for digitallydownloaded.net and Death Stranding Sucks. What? Shock horror. <laughs> Hashtag death of DDNet. Yeah, now we just got blacklisted from everything. Actually, no, I'm not allowed to talk about this, Jenny. I'm allowed to say that I am playing it, but actually that was not my opinion of the game. Um, for anybody from Sony who might be listening, I did not break embargo. That is not a score. That is not a review. So please don't hate me. I just wanted a dramatic entry, and that, that was pretty good. That's also, how we that all games at DDR. Everything sucks. Yeah, that's true. It's true, and that's going to annoy Alan the max because except for except for games we uh, we suck elsewhere, we review really highly. For that's some exactly reason. right. That's mm. exactly what digitallydownloaded.net stands for. Thank you, Trent, for encapsulating our mission statement in such an eloquent way. Um, anyway, uh, I better introduce you to. So Harvard's here this week. Hello, Harvard. Hello, hello. And also Trent's here. Hello, Trent. Hello. We're all going a bit nutty because there's like a billion games to play at the moment and it's just, it's impossible to keep up and we're all drowning, but that's okay. Um, yeah, it's it's a busy month for games, but we're going to actually use this podcast to go back in time a bit and talk about the retro stuffs because, yeah, we just need a break from all the modern games that we're playing. We're going to go to some music from Hatsune Miku and because it's getting close to Halloween, I think we'll use Happy Halloween. Alan, that's a note for you uh, in in post podcast recording editing and we'll come back and we will talk Hello. about we're going to talk about let's play anybody first. home i like some candy please well if you won't open up then
everybody okay actually this uh section of the podcast we're going to talk about uh let's plays as i mentioned in the intro and i don't really have much to say about this right now because this was a section that harvard proposed so i'm going to throw the baton over to harvard and um say your spiel yeah this is just something weird that i've noticed i don't know if you have a similar thing but lately i've been pretty busy i haven't had as much time to play games and when i play games I don't have the same mental capacity to do it as I used to. So, you know, like things I used to really enjoy now just feel really tiring to me. So what I realized is if You're I watch a Let's Play, it. I am getting old. You're getting <laughs> this is why I love Nintendo games. Like Nintendo games are so easy. Like everyone should just, me, but... We should just stop the PlayStation and Xbox side of the internet and everyone should just play Nintendo games with me. No, but even then, it's like sometimes... Watching someone play a game brings me more joy than me actually playing the game itself. Does that make sense? It's like... No. No? Well, it does, <laughs> but I, I feel like there's a lot of those less plays. They've got commentary or something else overlaying, and it's usually really over the top. It, it's oh, like, you've got to find like, a good person. You've yeah, got to find, you like find a, a good person, person who vibes with but... you. It's sort of like the primitive versions of like streaming in some ways. It was like back in the day where everyone's just like gonna dump the whole game onto YouTube and call it a day and put some overlay of ah, I'm gonna go over to that tree. I'm gonna chop it down with a get a box, you know, like Minecraft. Minecraft yeah, was I, always let's plays. I don't know why I kind of dig that now. It's like because it's I don't know if you do it, but when I play, I make a just a running commentary anyway. So if I'm gonna Say I'm playing Dragon Quest, I've been doing that a lot lately. I'll be like, oh no, I've seen some slimes. I'm just going to do some regular attacks. You know, I just talk out loud. And I feel like that gets me into the mindset of it's like I'm playing this game, even though I'm just watching it. That's, um, that's odd. <laughs> Am I losing my mind? Is this not a thing that people do? No, I mean, you... I, I don't, I certainly don't talk to myself while I'm playing video games, unless it's to, to swear because I'm playing a Kojima game and I'm just, you know, chewing him out while I'm playing these games. Um, but, well, you know, let, let, let's pivot the topic, because this, this is something that I thought that everyone did. You know when you're playing yeah. a fighting game, right? And then you commentate on the other, player th other players' things, like, oh, this guy's really favoring aerials, or like, he's really abusing his special and stuff. No. Don't you just talk? Don't you say things? No. Uh, do, no, do I you, really don't. <laughs> like, during E3, when Ubisoft does their whole, let's review, like, a first-person shooter thing, and it's like a half-hour thing in their presentation for no reason at all, or any publisher in general, and they've got some overlaying, like, over-the-top, like, yeah, let's go and do some tactics. You go over there. You go over there. Let's go shoot <laughs> out and raid this place. Are you talking like this when you're playing no, video I games? No, I don't make the voices. I don't make the voices. I just kind of 
give a little spiel about what's happening in the game, you know? But you're watching it, you know what's happening in the game! I don't know, it just helps me compose my thoughts. So, so usually when you play games, are you just absolutely silent watching the screen? Pretty much. I mean, I yes. might have thoughts going through my head, but I don't vocalize them, I guess, <laughs> is the thing. It's so weird to me. And maybe that's why, to take it back to Let's Plays, um, I guess the, I haven't watched too many Let's Plays. Um, it's not something that I find particularly entertaining myself, simply because I am of the mindset that if I, I'm going to watch a game, I might as well just play a game. Um, but when I have found a need for a Let's Play, for example, it's a game that I haven't um, got access to anymore or haven't played for a long time and, and wanted to check it out. Um, when, I, when I do find a Let's Play, it needs to be someone that's not talking. <laughs> I prefer just the dump <laughs> of gameplay um, because I, I really don't want to hear somebody telling me their experience while they're playing. I just want to kind of watch the game. So um, I think the last Let's Play I watched was quite a while ago. I had a... Um, I wanted to see Kingsfield 4 again. I think I was writing or playing a Dark Souls game or something, and I wanted to check back again and just check the, the predecessors to the Souls games just to see how they held up in my mind. So, yeah, I had to search around for a long time to find a Let's Play of, no one's playing that online. of Kingsfield 4 um, that did not have commentary thrown over the top as well. I found one in the end. So yeah, um, but yeah, I, I, I'm not a big fan of Let's Plays, but then I'm not a big fan of streams either. So <laughs> this is all a very, um, th this is a different tangent to the games industry to what I'm usually doing. I think like yeah, Dark Souls is actually. Oh, sorry. Try. Yeah, I was just gonna say I have to agree with Matt there. Like I'm not really going out of my way to look for that sort of stuff or streams in general when i do look at um let's plays it's usually like okay well i'm using it more as a walkthrough if it's like something mm -hmm. in a game where i'm like okay well why can't i figure out this what's what am i missing then i look at a let's play i'm like okay well they start at this point then they diverged and then they did this and i'm obviously stuck because i didn't do that like that's when i watch a let's play and it's more better than say like you know text walkthroughs and stuff which we knew like game facts if that still exists like stuff like that back in the day like you know i find it's more engaging and e easier to get the information i need than something like that for a walkthrough but I don't physically go, let's watch a Let's Play for the upcoming game or something and sit here with some popcorn going, ha, I'm playing the game as well. Like, I don't do oh, that. It's, to me, it's not, a, it's not an active experience. Like, I'll always have it on the background while I'm doing something else. But I was going to say Dark Souls is a good example because personally, I'm never going to beat Dark Souls. I'm just, I've just resigned to that. I'm losing my game of points, but it's too taxing for me to sit down to play for two hours and make no progress and hate myself. So I really appreciate being able to watch someone who's very good at the game go through and explain why they appreciate it. So I'm just going to give a shout out. Extra extra play and extra frames. Dan, Dan Floyd does a let's play of Dark Souls where he appreciates the technology and the animation behind it. And I find that so much more fascinating than actually just me trying to play Dark Souls and dying over and over again. Yeah, I certainly think that there's a, a value to Let's Plays, I guess, um, because, like you say, they're, they're an opportunity for people who might be 
not able to finish the game for whatever reason to to actually watch the thing from start to finish, which is certainly applicable to the Souls likes games um, for a lot of people. Um, and yeah, it's it's useful, like Trent said, for walkthroughs and stuff. But yeah, I don't know. I, I've been around on the internet for too long, and I've never found. I guess a let's player that really jives with me as either uh, as well in terms of the commentary they provide. Like, um, I don't know. There's always something I'd rather focus on than what let's players talk about. Let's players talk about, I guess. So, yeah, it's it's not something I really can add too much more to, really, because <laughs> I just don't have much experience <laughs> with let's players. I uh, I tried to do a stream let's play thing of a game once and bored myself out crazy too <laughs> really? trying to do it yeah i was trying to i when i was experimenting with um what i could do with youtube before i kind of figured out what i wanted to do with youtube um i started a let's play of dark cloud was it might have been dark cloud yeah i think it was um that ps2 era uh, roguelike from level five and yeah grew tiring just talking while i was playing the game so that's um, i would love to give it a try honestly if you can if you're gonna let me mess around with the youtube channel i would try making one and just naturally commentating and see if it turns out interesting <laughs> i will i'm interested now to to hear what you talk about while you're playing games harvard this is this is a fascinating concept to me i'm actually very... losing my mind that people don't do this <laughs> it just feels too natural for me <laughs> yeah it's and now I'm thinking if I ever have spoken while I've play, been playing a game, but I don't think I do. Games are for, like, the silent types, you know, the scotch in hand, the game control on the <laughs> other hand, the the dark lighting. That is what gaming is. On that note, we'll go to some music. Um, what are we going to do? You can pick the music, Harvard. This was your section. Pick the track. What are we listening to? Uh, I'm gonna link something from Pokemon because that's uh something that there is is a throwback for me, and I feel like that would be a good let's play if I were to do one. Pokemon's plus it's also a throw forward because the new Pokemon game's coming out in a month's time, so you know. yeah, and it's a great segue into the handheld thing. Yeah, segways, big right cars.
And welcome back everybody. So, you may have seen or may not have seen, depends on how tapped into the retro space you are. You may have seen that a new uh, handheld has been announced by a company called Analog, which is quite well-known company for making very beautiful bits of hardware. Um, this Analog Pocket, as it's called, is actually uh, it's actually been designed to basically play old games um, so you can play Game Boy, Game Boy Color, Game Gear, Game Boy Advanced, Neo Geo Pocket Color and Atari Lynx games on it. Now it's not a ROM player you actually need the physical game to play it it's basically like a, um, a new Game Boy in 2020 when it releases which is pretty cool um, but what's really turning heads is the quality of the thing. Uh, if you go and have a look at the website, it's really quite amazing, the pictures that they've put up of this console. It promises a pretty impressive resolution of 1600 by 1440 and 650 PPI, which means that the games are going to look better on this thing than they ever looked on any of the original hardware. So, yeah, it's... Um, it's an interesting one. I guess the question I have for you two, since neither of you were around when these games were were doing their thing, is this a console that has any interest to you, like a, a retro console in 2020 that you still need the original games to play? Oh, absolutely. I have a bag full of old GBA and GBC games. Uh, I, I'm not that. I'm not that young. I I was. I had the Game Boy Advance. <laughs> And yeah, not that I very religiously borrowed a Game Boy Color from my friend, okay? So this is not that bad. Wait, you didn't have a Game Boy Color? Oh, no, you I, I, you we couldn't wish. afford it. Look, I didn't start gaming until I was like 14. You know, I didn't just, we didn't have the money to buy uh, a handheld or whatever. So yeah, the original it, Game Boy I had was Mum's um, or something. She had a handheld? Oh, her, her, the Game Boys were hand-me-downs. And then the Game Boy Colors, we both got um, Pokemon. For Christmas one day, I got uh, red. My brother got blue, and we were playing it. Oh, that's yeah. actually the only way to enjoy Pokemon. And yeah. me, as an only child, could only finish like seventy. <laughs> it's, it's making okay. me so sad. I'm actually he, so he, sad right now. He didn't trade anything with me. It, it was basically pointless. <laughs> so the fu the funny thing for me is that I don't really like those retro um, systems that you need to buy your own cartridges for i really prefer the nes mini and the all the nes mini and the snes mini and stuff but this one because i already have a bunch and i've just never looked at them for the last 15 years it would be cool to go back and check it out and i think it's i don't know if this rings true to anyone else but i feel like it's more relatable to have a stash of game boy cartridges than it is to have a bunch of nes carts in a boxes hidden away in a cupboard I guess that depends on how you grew up, I guess. Like, if you no, grew no, up no. with the NES, you probably, in, and still have, you know, the, the cartridges there, you probably want something like an analog NES or whatever as well. But, yeah, like you, I um, I have an affinity for the, the Game Boy games. That was my first console uh, when I was growing up. And um, over the years, I sold off basically all of my Game Boy games as I moved on to other consoles and, you know, needed to, needed the cash to buy the <laughs> GBA games. Good and old the, GB games. Yeah, yeah, needed the trade-in to buy the, the you know, GBA games and then the N64 games and then, you know, on, on and on from there. But um, in, re in years since, uh, now that I go to Japan every year, every year I go to Japan, I hit up 
Super Potato and Mandarake and other retro stores and always end up buying a, a pile of new, well, not new, but uh, a pile of Game Boy games to bring back with me. Uh, my big find this year was I got the uh, Saga collection or the Final Fantasy Legends 1, oh, 2, and damn, 3. That's good. I got all but three of in them. Japanese in Japanese or in English? In, in Japanese, but my Japanese is good enough to struggle through those games. Yeah, that's, that's really um, good. In mint boxes, so it cost me an absolute fortune <laughs> to buy them. But that's oh, a heck no. of are you gonna open them and play them? Or are you I gonna don't know. I don't know. You should you should, you should save it because that's gonna be worth a bit. Yeah, but I already paid a bit for them. <laughs> don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I'm. I'd really love to see how those games look on the analog screen as well because I like the Game Boy aesthetic. I like that kind of um, pixel and the gray tone. You know, um, black and white. I actually really like those aesthetics, and I think that those on a higher quality screen, like what this analog thing is, um, would be a really good experience. So anyway, I've got about 60 Game Boy games now. Uh, I've got my collection back up to that. Most of them are in Japanese, but yeah, I've been playing them on the um, uh, Super Game Boy on my Super Nintendo, but I think having it in a portable is a good thing. I'm definitely looking forward to buying this thing, that's for sure. It's only $199 too. It's not expensive. It's kind of mind-blowing when you think back to 1998 or whatever, and the original Game Boy was selling for $200-something without Mm. any games. And if you adjust for inflation, like that's so expensive today. Oh, yeah, the Game Boy was a very expensive machine. It took me... I didn't get one when it launched, um, (laughs) precisely because uh, it was very expensive. And... You know, people talk about content in games uh, on consoles and whatever now, uh, and a launch being a bad launch. At you know, if it only had fifty games on it at launch, but the Game Boy launched with like three in Australia. But it also <laughs> it launched that. with Tetris, and Tetris is the staying power Tetris of and um, Super games. Mario Super Mario Land, which was a pretty good game. But um, uh, I'll contest you on that one. Super Mario Land was not a good game. Oh, it is a good game. Shut up, Harvard. You're not allowed to talk about this. You know, there is no good Mario game. Ooh, spooky. I mean, what? <laughs> no, no. Six, six golden coins absolutely snaps, but Super Mario Land, leave it to history. Ooh, you're very wrong about that, Harvard. You're very wrong about that. I'm sorry. I hate to say that, but you are. It's a great game. I actually I ruined the cartridge of that when I played it that much. <laughs> because it's... the Game Boy games actually did die. Um, after oh yeah, they did after too. An they, awful they lost the battery. It, well, not just the loss of the battery, but also the connectors on the uh, on the cartridges would wear over time. So I don't know if you remember. <laughs> um, there was will tr- never know. <laughs> there, there, there was there was a trick you used to have to do where you'd have to actually blow into the, the cartridge um, to get it to work. Um, on on the console, that was the thing. Once the uh, connectors started to die the only way to get the game to work would be to blow it into the cartridge and then it got to the point with my copy of super mario land where i would actually hold the cartridge out of the window of the car as we were driving (laughs) to really get a strong wind to try and get this this bloody cartridge to work you'd have to do it seven or eight times put it into the machine turn it on um (laughs) and then it wouldn't work so you'd do it again and again eventually it would but it became a very painful process to and that's say the, the story least. on how matt lost his mario Kart. yeah i'm honestly just <laughs> thinking of you little you with a hand in the window and just accidentally letting go or something and just <laughs> no. being distraught and, and then a car that. comes by and runs over it 
but that was uh, why I was so happy for the 3DS to come along with the virtual console because Super Mario Land was on that, so I got to play it again. I actually have that entire game memorized, muscle to, to muscle memory. Because I feel, I, I feel that way about um, one of the Pokemon games growing up. It's cool how that works when you're a kid and you just memorize it right away. Well, yeah, I, I knew where all the secrets were, like all the secret blocks and all, all the items, and I could kind of race through Mario Land without losing a life after 10 years of not playing it. But um, yeah, good game, that one. And the cool thing is with the... Because I discovered a lot of the Game Boy era games through the 3DS Virtual Console, and it really it hurts me that they're just not continuing on the Switch. But the, that, that era of design was clever and elegant in a way that we don't see anymore today. Because of the limitations they had on the con- on the um, handheld, they were able to make games which feel really well-constructed, and everything has a purpose, and... I really want to go back and appreciate design like that again. So I think I might actually pick this up and see how it goes. Well, the thing with the Game Boy was it was such a limited piece of hardware. It had some ridiculous restrictions on it. Like there were actually an, only a certain number of sprites that could be on the screen at once because otherwise um, the, the the processor couldn't actually render them all at once and they'd flicker like on and off um, if there were more than a certain number of sprites. on a. I think it was on a horizontal row of the screen. So, yeah, you had to design your game around that limitation. There's obviously huge sound limitations and the graphical limitations working with so few pixels and all that kind of stuff. So developers actually challenging themselves to, to work around those limitations is always something I'm, I find very impressive. And I do like it the occasional time where a developer tries to make a Game Boy game in, you know, 2019 or whatever. The, they set themselves the challenge of having that kind of limitation. It's always good to see. So, yeah, who knows? There may be, I mean, it's probably hard to find cartridges these days, but there there may well be room to make a couple of new Game Boy games with this analog system too, you know, just so people can stick something new into the console. That would be really cool. Also, before we move on, uh, this analog, I forgot what it's called, but it also has a music, synthes- a music synthesizer on it for some reason. So you yes, can actually use it, it to make your own beats and... Yeah, Not just if... for some reason, eight bit music is like really popular. It's like a no. I don't think it's just no, no. It's not eight bit. Like it's a proper music creation tool in addition to being a Game Boy. Yeah, it's a proper synthesizer. It's not an eight bit one. It's an actual, you know. I guess they're flexing the strength of their hardware through it, just to prove it's not just an underpowered bit of you know technology. Um, but yeah, check it out, everybody. It's analog.co/pocket. And um, you'll be pretty impressed with it, we think. All right, we're going to go to some music and then come back and uh, talk about something a little different. And I've forgotten what it is, but that's not, that's, we'll figure it out by the time we get back. Music uh, request. Trent. Music request, sorry. Uh, Trent, if you, uh, if you can get one. Trent, pick a piece of music. Jesus, that was I, hard to say. Howard feels like he, he, he wants to say a music track over okay. the top of me. What, what music do you want, Howard? Super Mario Land World 2. Okay, done. <laughs> the only good thing about Super Mario Land. Now I regret this decision. <laughs> Alright, I have to take a quick phone call, guys, so I'll just be back in one second. Just leave it running. I'm going to go listen to Super Mario Land World 2.
And welcome back, everybody. Okay, so for the last section of the podcast this week, we are going to talk about arcade games, and part of the reason for that is the sad news that a arcade in Japan is closing down, which was more than just an arcade. It was also a tourist destination. Um, it was based on, how do you pronounce it, Kowloon? Um, Kowloon. Kowloon. Uh, the, the infamous no longer there um, massive buildings and whatever that was in uh, Hong Kong that um, inspired movies like uh, Blade Runner and all of that kind of stuff. Anyway, this arcade was built like that, to, to look like that. It obviously wasn't, but it was built to look like that with the same aesthetic and the arcade machines were kind of uh, in and between all the, the props and sets and stuff. And it was a really good experience. I actually managed to get there when I was over in Japan earlier. Uh, I didn't know that it was going to close down this year. Uh, I've been saying for about a five years now that I wanted to go. We just never got around to it. This year we managed to, and I was lucky I did because otherwise I would have missed my chance to go entirely. Um, but yeah, I guess it's, it's over in Japan, arcades are still fairly popular. Uh, people still go along to them. They're still around and um, quite visible, and they're quite large. You know, you, some of them can still be four or five floors of of games. Um, but it seems like now <laughs> the arcades in Japan are finally, start, <clears throat> excuse me, starting to suffer the same decline that they have in the West. And um, yeah, it's sad. I don't know if you guys even remember arcades, <laughs> being young'uns and all that. Arcades died in Australia very quickly. No, well, the, we in I, Sydney, we had a few. Oh, sorry, John. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we discussed this last time we talked about arcades, and we are like, oh, well, I live in the country. No one else knows what arcades are. You know, th this thing is... The, the gambling uh, industry is the arcades of Australia. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> it's so true. <laughs> Star City, the casino, that's where all the games are. Bloody that's Konami. Best. <laughs> Konami and the Silent Hill arcade machine. Of oh, arcade no gambling machine. I'm all for you'd, that. You'd think it's satire, but it's really not. <laughs> um, did you have any arcade machines or anything around where you live, Trent? Uh... No, but uh, occasionally like there's sort of like pinballs and stuff. But there is actually something which, um, not, not directly like games and like gaming things. Like you don't have your Street Fighter arcade machine or anything. They're more like uh, you know the, those ticket machines which you know generate tickets. In, oh, like ski ball kind of, and stuff. Yeah, those kind of arcade machines. But there's a really interesting one at the um, at the bowling alley right now, and I want to talk about because it it's a really cool concept. You have like a little machine. And it draws water from a machine, and then it shoots it at the screen. And then you're like shooting um, monsters and enemies, and it collects coins, and you can get power ups which make more water shoot out from. Oh, I have seen one of those. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's so it's so cool because it's like um, it's both AR, I guess, and like a physical thing. Like it's there's like a bit of interactive, like real worldness about it, and it's like the best thing ever. <laughs> So basically, it's like a it's like a light gun game, right? It's like Time Crisis, but there's there's an actual stream of water coming out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And the the water stream hits the the screen, and where it hits the screen um, is like where it basically shoots, and yeah, then you can pick up power ups, which makes it shoot more water, and hopefully it's recycled. We're in a drought. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you'd you'd hope so, but you'd also hope they clean it. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I really love the uh, the old light gun games, like. Well, Time Crisis, but also Virtua Cop and all that stuff. We used to get... There's a few arcades which used to be big in Sydney, 
they closed down, but they're actually they're resurging now. There's a company that's consolidating and wants to make arcades happen again. And it's been really cool to go and just enjoy that kind of vibe because I think it's so different to playing at home as well. I think for arcades to survive, if they're going to survive, if there's going to be any room for an arcade in, in the future, they need to transition to be more like theme parks, I think. Um, the the best arcade that I've been to, not putting aside the, the novelty of going to the one um, that I was talking about earlier, is uh, it, it was the VR arcade that was in Shinjuku um, for quite a while. It's not there anymore. They've moved the machines out. Um, but it was... It was really good. You'd go along and it was basically like, it, it was like, it was halfway between a theme park and an arcade in that the rides were more substantial. Um, and we're talking about stuff like Mario Kart and uh, there was a Dragon Quest one, which, which was really cool where you'd uh, put the VR headset on, you'd be led into a, a warehouse type space and then you'd actually move around that space swinging swords and killing slimes and stuff in, oh, in VR. It was, it was a lot of fun. It was a kind of dream come true experience. But that's the kind of thing I think is where arcades can still have a future. It's where they can do something that you can't really do at home you can put the VR goggles on at home, but you haven't really got, unless you've got a very big home, <laughs> they can't exactly create a game for a space where you need to be you know, running and rolling around uh, like you're in a kind of fantasy adventure. So I think I think that's where the potential is still for arcades. Well, that but was I sort of think, the uh, oh. benefit of it, like originally, wasn't it? Like the arcade was, you know, you don't have these games at home or, you know, you couldn't afford a NES or a SNES or something, so you'd go to the arcade and play Mario or whatever in the arcade. Like, I think well, that, that was... was, that was that was exactly yeah. it. Like the arcades were, they were the place you'd go to play the games that your home consoles weren't powerful enough for. Like the arcade versions were always superior. They were always much, you know, they had better graphics and the experience of them was, was better. So that was then, but then obviously consoles got to the point where the experience was better at home, if anything, for playing those kinds of games. So there was no reason to go to the arcade anymore, especially when you'd had to have to keep paying money to play those in the arcade, whereas at home you could you know, have unlimited plays effectively. So, yeah, that's when arcades started to do the skill testers and all that kind of stuff, which is oh, good. the claw machines. I'm good at the claw machines. Um, it's not a, it's not a skill-based game, man. You can't be good at a claw machine. Actually, we are very good at the claw machines. I'm sorry, Harvard. <laughs> uh, we always end up coming out. Every time we go to Japan, we come back with a big bag full of new stuffed toys because we just clean up. That's where we get our money's worth. But yeah, those are... Those Matt, what are is your strategy to the claw machine? How, how, do you, how do you differentiate yourself from the masses? Okay, let's see if I can explain this clearly. So... The first thing is you've got to find the right machine, like because there's different variations of the claw machine. The one that you want is the one where the stuffed toy is hanging on like a, a ledge. Um, they, they, yeah, it's it's like a if you think of a plank from you know <laughs> ships, uh, pirate ships, pirate stories, and all that. You know how the, the the plank, the toy is like hanging off the edge of the the plank. Oh, and then okay. the goal is, yeah, so that's that's the machine you're looking for. And the goal is not to go for the toy, but you need to make the, the plank bounce. And if you do that, the toy falls off. And that's how you get the, the toy. Oh, and they don't actually have that around Sydney. But I, I've seen something like that, but it's not as common. 
Yeah, right. possibly, pockets possibly, of uh, toys. <laughs> Sydney, Sydney machines are probably all the same UFO, you know, the, just the claw grabber thing. There's a few is... that um, get shipped over. There's, there's the claw grabbers, there's the 2D UFO machines, which are the biggest scams in the universe, and then there's the, um, the cut-the-string kind of games. Oh, yes. Yeah, never bother with those. You've got no chance for any of those. <laughs> now, you've got to find the ones that are actually involve some kind of skill. Okay, I see how it is then. There are there are some in Japan which do actually involve some kind of skill. I mean, the the odds are very much stacked against you, but you know, sometimes people do clean up in poker and roulette as well. Yeah, I, I'm with I'm with you. I think the the best arcade memories I have are still the games which you definitely can't play at home. So I went through a bit of a DDR phase, you know, like as everyone does. And Loki is a game called oh, I've got to get it wrong. I, I I think it's called Bishi Boshi, but it could be wrong. And it's kind of like WarioWare, but the buttons are physical and very big. So you're actually just like slapping these buttons. And it's having a big machine in front of you is almost cathartic in a way that playing on a console at home isn't, you know? There was another, there's another one that I've always been intrigued at, but never really played because they're generally in the smoking area of the arcades and <laughs> in Japan, and I, I can't handle too much smoke. Um, but, ah, the casinos. <laughs> no, no the, in, in arcades. So Japanese arcades are split into areas. There's no smoking areas, which is usually where the UFO catchers are and stuff. They're the kind of social areas. But the more hardcore gamey sections, uh, smoking is allowed. So people go and smoke while they're playing the games and whatever. But there is, um, there is a type of game that's always appealed to me, and it, they use it for strategy games or for sports games or whatever. You buy packs of cards, and then you put the cards on the table, and whatever card you put on the table actually summons the player or the unit or whatever into the game on the machine. So, and, and then you actually move the cards, physically move the cards around to, to move your units around and stuff Ooh. like that. So that would uh, that'd be something that I could see myself getting very kind of hooked on because I like that kind of, I like collectible card games for a start. I also like the, the idea of actually, you know, manipulating the the game using them so yeah I, I could see myself getting very hooked on that stuff if that i could handle the smoking that could just never take off overseas though i think you would need a community for it yeah well obviously the the japanese there there is that community there for it but you're right <laughs> you wouldn't be able to get that done here to the same extent that's for sure Anyway, on that note, we might make a wrap of the podcast this week. Thanks very much, everybody, for tuning in. It was uh, it was a good one. Thanks for being on, Trent and Harvard, as always. Uh, we will go to some music, which Trent will get to pick this time, since he didn't get to pick the last one, and we'll wrap on that. So, Trent, what's your music pick? Well, I don't know no arcades, so let's go back to some classic retro music. Let's go with uh, some music from Shadowgate. Shadowgate. Yes. What's Shadowgate? Shadowgate. Great game. 